Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, welcome to today's episode of The Christian Skeptic. I am pleased to welcome a uh, very special guest and friend to today's episode. Uh, You may know him from the band Anne Berlin. His name is Stephen Christian. Uh, I don't know if you need much more of an introduction than that. That's already just calling you a rock star. So welcome to the Christian Skeptic, Stephen. Well, thank you, Mr. Sean Kerwin. Um, I'm pleased and happy to be here on a multitude of reasons. Uh, First being that, you know, we're friends offline, you know, who knew? (laughs) <laughs> um, I do claim you as a friend in public, uh, so you're welcome for that. Also, just kidding. Um, also, man, I really am truly a fan. You know this. I'm a fan of your podcast. I've probably heard 80% of your podcasts, so I like it. I appreciate it. It's challenging, and um, yeah, and just I, I, I look to you as a very well-thought-out individual. I love that you have an engineering background. I think that's incredible because you bring a different perspective to me, who's more on the creative end, end of it all. So I think that's what I appreciate about your podcast, that it's more, I don't want to say it's logic-based. I assume all theological podcasts should be logic-based, or I would at least (laughs) hope so. But yours feels more mathematical, and that's a compliment. You know, that's not, you know, and and also in person, man, you are what you say you are on the podcast. You are who you come across as, you know, last time you and I talked, you know, we were sitting down in in Corrales, New Mexico, um, when we talked face-to-face, last time we talked face-to-face, I should say. Um, and you know, I'm just dumping theological, like, give me the true answer on this. What about this? And I mean, we, I wasn't just like, how's the weather out here? I just, remember that? I just laid into you like, what is this? And so it was a great conversation and I'm looking forward to this one because this is a pretty close to near and dear to my heart on a few different levels. Yeah, I absolutely do remember that. Um, I feel like we also talk on the phone a lot like that though, too. Oh, true. We don't, yeah, we don't just play around. We just jump right in, you know? Hardcore theological apologetics questions and conversations and uh, conversations about life. So if anyone's wondering why you're on the show at this point, it's just to compliment me. It's just simply an ego stroke. And you can just just PayPal me when we're done with this. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Is is, is it the usual rate uh, I'm charging you on PayPal? 1.2 million. Okay. (laughs) Um, yeah, because the Christian skeptic grosses uh, <laughs> per month. Um, just kidding, I make nothing. Um, <laughs> but so the question I'm going to get to in a second is uh, kind of the if anyone takes a look at your life question that is obvious, which is why in the heck would you give up being a rock star to be a pastor? Uh, but before we get to that, it's probably helpful just to ask what made you become a Christian in the first place? Mm. Were you always a Christian? Were you a Christian before you were a rock star? During? After? What happened there? Yeah, I mean, I was raised in the church, but for me, a lot of it was just a social life. You know, I didn't connect with a lot of the messages. I definitely did not connect with the pastors. I did not connect with the denomination. It just, it it slowly just pushed me out to the point at 16 years old, I just was free falling. And I don't want to say I turned my, I'll call it agnostic for the sake of your listeners, not not atheist. I don't, I'm not that pretentious as a 16 year old to believe I know there is no God. But for me, it was, I don't know, so I don't care. And it wasn't like, and then I turned around and started doing heroin. It wasn't like that at all. (laughs) It was more just like, just don't just, 
ambivalence. Like I just don't care. Um, nonchalant about the faith. Still want to show up and see my friends and stuff like that occasionally. But, but other than that, it just had no root. And at about 17, right before my 18th birthday, my grandmother said, hey, you know, would you like, would you ever consider going on a mission trip? And she would help pay for it. And so I went with a, an organization to the Ukraine for two months. And it was there that being on this mission trip, I was just trying to run away. Didn't care about God, didn't care about, you know, re evangelism or anything like that of the sort. But I did feel like I wanted to get away from America, see a different culture. My, my grandparents are from the Ukraine. So I figured, man, that'd be really interesting to go see where they're from. And there, this organization had a one hour set aside in the mornings for quiet time. And so that at that time, you know, there wasn't the cell phone reception or anything like that. I didn't have any computers or anything with me or, at all. I mean, so I just read the red letters hmm. over and over and over again. I was just like, listen, if I'm going to explore this faith, I'm going to start here. You know, I, I've heard it all. I may know all the stories from... Jonah the whale to the crucifixion. I mean, I can recite them for you because of Sunday school. Um, but to me, I just, I'm just going to start over afresh. And what I found was the most altruistic human, you know, if, you know, that we can start there, you know, whether you call him God or whether you call him a fable or whatever the case might be, whatever you, whatever you perceive of his life. Um, I, you know, I saw the most altruistic human um, that I've ever seen, which, you know, later in James would say, this is pure religion is to love the widow and orphan. And I think that was kind of what Jesus looked like to me. Everything that I, any religion that I would have thought up would have included the most humanistic parts of me. And so here to even start at the grounds of this man, this man had a, a, a different mindset that got me. And then just, just, uh, you know, the, it says in the Bible that the word would not return void, and I think that was the summer where uh, the summer where the <laughs> there was no void, and I slowly began to fall in love with with Jesus Christ. And um, I was ministering to an elderly lady there, and she's sobbing because she's speaking to me in Russian, and she uh, and this is the fall of communism, so this is 1994, and I was uh, talking to her, and she was basically saying, you know. I didn't know. I've never known any of this. You know, I, you know, in communism, obviously Marxism says, you know, hey, you know, religion is the opium of the people. Therefore, we're just going to rid it of our society. And so us bringing the gospel was, was like enlightening to her hmm. uh, in the true sense of the word enlightenment. Well, there was a man to my right and uh, sorry, to my left. Now that I think about it, he had a black hair, bowl cut, black horn rimmed glasses, shorter than me, black shirt, sweater thing, black pants, black shoes. And he's listening to the entire conversation back and forth, back and forth. And finally, in pure, unadulterated, perfect English, he says, do you really believe this? And I just said, I looked at him, I said, yes. And it was like a sonar went off. And it was the first time that the Bible, when the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you'll be saved. And that was that first amalgamation where in my my body and my spirit and my soul had already believed because of me just studying over and over these pouring over these scriptures and me falling in love with Jesus Christ and then saying it out loud it was just like it was pulsating and so that was kind of the turning point in my life now since then I've made gross errors poor decision making I've I've you know I've done it all I've 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 sinned and fallen short of the glory of God 
but I've never lost my way and I've always relied on grace to bring me back to the truth that I know. So what you're saying is you didn't sell your soul to the devil to become a rock star. <laughs> no, I am I am no Robert Johnson. No. <laughs> so so tell me about that then. How do you go from having this experience on on the mission field which to a lot of 18-year-olds would be the thing that would set you on a trajectory to becoming a pastor later, especially given just the culture of church. How do you go from that to being a rock star to being in the band Anne Berlin? Yeah. So we were in a, you know, we, at that time, you know, I was into music. I really enjoyed it. We played, we had some acoustic projects and we had some, you know, friends played around and stuff like that. But in Winter Haven, Florida, there was a really big metal scene. I mean, they're just, you know, just was for whatever reason. Winter Haven is a very small town, but a lot of bands from out of town would come in. Well, there's nothing to do in Winter Haven. You know, we, at that time, there wasn't even a Starbucks or a Target or anything. It was just it was just we had we had a chilies and we thought we were like <laughs> a big deal because we got a chilies and so like that whatever picture you you put into that two stoplight town that's what we were and so honestly it, it was just kind of like where the community hung out and i was just drawn to music anyway loved music was just infatuated with it anyway and so just began to play with local bands was in a punk rock band for a while and <clears throat> And so at the age, you know, like, like right after college or as college was kind of coming to a close, my, when you go to college, your styles change, your, what you listen to changes and all that kind of stuff. And so I really wasn't into punk rock anymore. And so I told some of the guys in my band, like, Hey, we can either change our sound and kind of move along or, you know, like, I'd rather just, you know, I, I just don't want to be playing this music. And so we kind of, as that faded, we picked up, you know, we picked up. Um, with Amberlynn and we went to Georgia to record some demos and the producer said can I please send this along to some major labels and he did and there was some buzz about it and from there we as I graduated college one month to the day after I graduated college we had we had signed our first record deal with Tooth and Nail Records out of Seattle Washington and then from there put out three records with them and um, then we we transferred to Universal Records um, for our fourth record and on ever since. Okay, so so you sign a, a a record deal. You are in this band. You're touring the world. What the heck? <laughs> Why would you leave it and go become yeah, a pastor? Yeah. And and of all that's places, great... you left the band to be a pastor. It was first in Albuquerque, New Mexico, right? That's the first pastoral role you ever held, correct? That is correct. All right. Yeah. Why? Um, <laughs> Um, I think that exact question, even almost the phrasing, was asked to me by my band for several years before, I mean, <laughs> for the year leading up to us leaving. Because we finally, you know, I don't want to say finally, but we had everything we dreamt of as kids in, in you know, this small little town. We had money. We had success. We had notoriety. We had fame. We were creating art. We were being creative. We were on a major label. And so from a, from a, you know, a 30,000 view perspective, it would just kind of look like what an idiot to leave, to leave all this behind. <laughs> it just seemed a little asinine on many different levels. Well, you know, during the band and we started in 2002 in 2008, I married my beautiful wife, Julia, um, who, she, who, you know, and, um, we began to have kids in 2011. And by 2013, we had had our second and, I missed life and you do, you do in a band. And, and that kind of comes with the territory. You know, you're gonna miss anniversaries and birthdays and funerals and weddings and graduations. My, my brother and sister 
all, well, actually all three of them graduated with their master's degrees and I was not at a single one of their ceremonies. And that just comes with the terrain. Like it's sad and it's, you know, some of those things, I mean, I, I know they're still hurt with them even to this day. Um, but it was just the lifestyle. I missed my grandfather's funeral. I was in Brazil when my grandfather passed away. Didn't, didn't, couldn't even make it to his own funeral. And I love my grandfather. I loved my grandfather very deeply. And so here I was having a two-year-old, I mean, having a, having a two-year-old and then, a, you know, and then having a brand new baby. And, and I realized that I began to have quantity of life, but there was no quality. I'm missing first steps and first words and first laughs. And um, Sean, someday God is going to bless you with 54 kids. But for now, you know, you know, it's hard. It's hard for me to tell someone who does not have kids. And I, you know, your listeners, if you have kids, you just know this. Um, just this. Oh man, integration. This almost symbiotic relationship in which you need them and they need you, and it's just some of the most beautiful, incredible memories. Um, th that you'll ever formulate is just in those early years. Sure, and yeah. So I don't have that. It still begs the question of why pastor, though. And and, and I guess this feels mm -hmm. a little weird. Yeah, this might even feel point. a little weird because we, <clears throat> I mean, I was a pastor with you. That's that's where we met. Was <laughs> That's where yeah. our friendship blossomed, as it were, uh, as yeah. we were both pastors on staff at this, at this church, this mega church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, but, but why why pastor of all of all careers there's so many other careers that give you that that life balance or just so many other options right that give you that work life yeah, balance or why, why ministry i think you know to say nothing short of god i mean that sounds so trite and so old but you know for me what happened was i had you know coming out of the band i had three jobs you know three jobs at home lined up and, and so January 1st, I started all three jobs. And by January 31st, they were all gone. The record label I was consulting for folded. The social media um, company that, I mean, the, the company that I was doing social media for um, outsourced their social media. And I was songwriting. And anybody that knows anything about songwriting, even if you wrote a number one hit, you're not going to see the first check for a year and a half. So I, you know, though I continued to songwrite, I was at zero. And so that's not why I went to pastor, but it was more like January went by. February, I'm looking for jobs. I'm being very diligent. I'm being very faithful. March rolls by. And, and at this point, I'm just kind of relinquishing control to God because I was so stressed out and so worked up. And God basically was teaching me over that time, hey, your daughter doesn't care, you know, doesn't worry about the roof of where she's going to have a if she's going to have a roof overhead tomorrow. Your daughter isn't caring where the food's going to come from. She knows where it's going to come from you. So how much more can you just trust me with your future? And so by March, I just relinquished control and said, okay, God, well, April, well into April, still like just felt lost. Like, God, what's happening right now? I mean, you know, aren't you, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in you and you're all going to work this out and stuff. So I get a call from somebody at Calvary and just said, hey, would you come and be a worship leader here? And I said, no way. Worship leading, <laughs> worship music is the cheesiest music of all time. I don't, I know thanks. <laughs> and so they, he kind of duped me. He said, you know, why don't you come here and just hang out with me? Let's do a vacation. Just lead worship one time. We'll pay for it. Great. Sounds fun. Free, you know, free vacation. I'm going to go sing a couple worship songs. I went and when the wheels hit the plane in Albuquerque, I just stopped and I go, oh, I live here, like this is where I'm going to live. I just felt it. And then when I went on campus to the church we worked at, 
I fell in love with the people. They are some of the most beautiful people, just just a vibrant and alive. And, and you know as well as I do, as, and, and this is not, this is, maybe this is my perception, but I feel like it's reality. So they did a Wednesday night class there. And this and the and the pastor was was an incredible orator and he would sit up there for an hour with the Bible open and just speak and just and yet the place was full they were so hungry you know and I just felt like at no other stage in my life yes I felt like I've achieved something I've achieved something but at no no state you know no point in my life did I feel like so man so fulfilled as when I was at the church. And then I began, so they offered me the job and I moved out there to New Mexico. And I, I still, when I, when I went there and I started to put my hands to the plow, I just felt so fulfilled. Nothing in my life, not selling my one millionth record, not going number one in the United States, not touring around, nothing fulfilled like this. Like just knowing that you found somebody and you took them one step closer to Jesus Christ or one step closer in their relationship with God. You know, every day, and sure you were doing, sometimes you were doing behind the scenes detail work. Sometimes you were doing stuff with tech or lighting or creative or whatever the case might be. But I just felt so fulfilled. It was awesome, man. And so that's why pastor. I just, I felt, I felt, I don't want to say I felt a calling. I want to say I was thrust into a situation and found my calling, you know? And um, yeah, I even remember one pastor asking you and I, I believe you were in there, he said, how do you, how did you know, how did you guys know you were called to ministry? And I was like, I don't know. Beats me, man. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I'm here and I feel alive and I feel fulfilled. And I feel like I'm supposed to be right here at this time, space, place, continuum, this here, right here. And so I wasn't called to, I was called in, if that makes sense. No, and it does to some degree. And obviously it's hard for me to take a really skeptical um, objector position in this because I mean you know for you and, and for anyone new to the podcast I have a very similar story in where I felt called out of engineering which is not you know by, by any sense of the word a shameful career into that same role that same pastoral role at that same church uh, and 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 there is a phenomenological aspect to it right just just as you were talking about there there's a sense you can't explain there's a sense where it's all it's all feeling based and it, and it feels right. And then there's there's also a psychological aspect as well of the, the fulfillment. And I remember for me, it was uh, and, and these were the words that the um, the executive pastor that worked there used when he and I were talking about about me joining the staff was. At some point, you have to make a choice in your life. Do you want money or do you want meaning? And, and for me, at that point in time, it was it was the meaning uh, and. I guess I should clarify, it's still about meaning today. I'm not just blindly chasing a dollar bill. Um, so, you know, to some degree, I, I get that. I get that even though I struggle with the phenomenological aspects of so many things about our Christian faith and, and calling, you know, I'm a human just like you, and I feel the phenomenology just like you. And so in some sense, it's hard to find a skeptical objection, uh, not that I don't have one, <laughs> but mm. uh, all that to say, I, I do get it. I do relate to it. I don't know that everyone listening will. Um, and, and that's where we have to just kind of chalk 
some stuff up into the category of phenomenology. We have to just chalk some stuff up into the category of meaning. And and the, the shift of meaning that comes when you actually are following Jesus is different, and it looks different, and it'll always look different than what meaning looks like when you're not following Jesus. And, and when you're not, for lack of a better term, a Christian, right? And so uh, with that, though, back to your story, uh, you mentioned altruism. And when you read the red letters in the New Testament, which are the words of Jesus, you said you noticed in a very altruistic religious leader. And that was one of the things that stood out to you at first. And obviously, you mentioned other things that stood out. But I want to go back to that idea. Uh, And I think you and I have had conversations about Sam Harris, who is you know, the podcaster I look up to, right? The, uh, the world's most famous atheist, um, even though he himself would probably not identify as a hardcore classical atheist. I don't know. I've never talked to the guy. It'd be nice to someday, but, um, he has a lot of ideas on altruism and altruism as a means to change the world and lift people out of poverty. And altruism oftentimes for what Sam Harris describes it as, looks at you go out and you make the most money possible so that you can then have the most meaning or meaningful impact possible in the world. So it's been years now since both of us have left that particular church in Albuquerque, and I'm back into engineering now. And you've you've done some more stuff with Anne Berlin. You've toured a little bit, but you're also still a pastor. So why still be a pastor? Why not go and live an altruistic life. Mm. That's, yeah, I see that. My pushback to Sam would be um, old Sam, because apparently I know him on the first name basis. <laughs> old Sammy boy. You know, the, but, but, the, but the thing about it is the most you know, impactful people have not always been the most wealthy. I mean, to me, I look at, you know, I, I mean, I hate to go right to the source, but Jesus Christ, did, you know, he said, I have, you know, I don't have anywhere to even lay my head you know, yes, his, his ministry was fully funded, but I don't think that, you know, he, he's, as, as far as a, whether you believe he's the son of God, is inconsequential to the fact that he had the greatest impact, you know, on, on the planet Earth in the history of mankind and didn't, didn't raise the most money. He wasn't, he wasn't into marketing and branding. He was into the simple ideas of love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the breakdown of his entire message. It was not, hey, I'm going to raise a, you know, $10 billion and I'm going to give it away to the Gates Foundations and all these other things. And hopefully we can end this polio or vaccine or whatever that, you know, that's not that's that wasn't. So to me, Sam's number one almost agitator, which would be Jesus and the religion of faith is the number one, you know, contradiction into his own theory, if that makes sense. But no pushback. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I mean, it makes sense to some degree. I, I, I understand where you're coming from with the theological perspective of yes, Jesus was homeless, and that does raise up another kind of question that we should probably get to after this: of how do you feel about the mega churches that are all about the branding and are all about the the show to say yeah, right? But let's go. Um, yeah. But nevertheless, there is a an undeniable impact that monetary generosity has on the world. And, you know, I I would even argue statistically, and I I don't have statistics on hand to pull up for you, uh, 
but I, I mean, anyone listening, feel free to Google this. Um, I think you and I both know that monetary generosity, especially when it comes from the evangelical and Catholic churches, has done the most good for poor people, for orphans, and for widows around the world. So I, I guess more to the point of the question is why not just go back to being a rock star, make millions of dollars, and give millions of dollars to the church and see your impact that way? Why do you continue to be a pastor? But yeah, but for for what end though? Couldn't I do, I feel like, I think it's an amalgamation of both though for me. I mean, I do want to make money. I do want to contribute financially. I mean, I'm. this is not to pat myself on the back and that's okay, but that's because we're having this direct conversation. But my wife and I were able to give more away last year than we have in the existence of our family. It was awesome. And yet I'm still able to make an impact on my community. You know, we, we're right now we're building our seventh campus in Clearwater and I, I help facilitate a lot of that as far as the, you know, the conceptualization, you know, having connecting people together, encouraging my pastor to build. And so we just we're building a 55,000 square feet campus in the heart of Pinellas County here in Clearwater. And to me, that is generational impact for me. So not only did I help contribute to create it, but now I'm going to make one of hopefully the you know one of the not the biggest i don't care about big the most impactful church in clearwater and um and so i think it would be i would have to say both is the answer i i, I feel like anybody can make money and also you're presupposing for not just me but for anyone else that they are able to make a substantial amount of money. If it was as easy as to say, hey, listen, go make as much money, go make millions and then give it away. Of course people would do that, but you're, but not everybody has the opportunity to make millions of dollars, if that makes sense. No, 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 it absolutely does. And I'm not, I'm trying, I'm trying not to presuppose for anybody, but for you in particular, because you have lived the life yeah. that for most is the dream, you know, or maybe not most, but for anyone with a passion of music, the life you've lived is the dream, you know, and, and to, to some sense, um, and, and for anyone listening, <laughs> I'm not just being mean to Stephen. <laughs> um, no, 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 we're, but, down, but, we're friends. We're you know, I'm, I'm trying to bring out the, the, the skeptical objection here because in some sense, no, it almost looks like you gave it up to just go preach on Sundays, you know, just to put mm -hmm. it in the probably hardest words I can put it into. And, and, and so that's, it, it's the personal reasons I'm trying to get to for you and why you're doing yeah. that. I mean... Well, your podcast is named The Christian Skeptic, so if you're not skeptical, you've got to change the name of your podcast. So, But for me, like it, it, being in Amberlynn, I think if you asked like, the average fan that has been there for a duration of time, they could see through us that Amberlynn always wanted to make an impact, no matter where we were. We worked with Habitat for Humanity. We worked with cancer foundations. We were, I mean... We, you know, we, we, this last one, we would chill, we did Children's International, um, a, a general market nonprofit, you know, that, that helps children. I mean, we tried our best to make an impact no matter what the stage or platform we had. No matter, you know, one of our first tours, it was World Vision. I mean, that was kind of a concept. Two Right Lover on Our Arms got a launch, we, la we helped launch them. You know, I had Jamie come with me on our city's tour and open up the entire night by talking to people about To Right Love. And so that's always been part of our MO was just to, to impact people through through inspiring them, whether that's financially or, you know, letting people know about it, whatever the case might be. 
So for me, being a pastor is no different than what I was doing before. I'm utilizing a creative platform to inspire people to be the best version of themselves. And that's kind of like, we, you know, me and I love Simon Sinek. You know, know your why. I wake up every day to be able to make a positive impact on those around me. And, and that, that nothing changed. My why never changed from Amberlynn to becoming a pastor. Yeah, I guess that's fair enough, because that is good advice to turn to Simon Sinek <laughs> um, always, for, for any always. career, you know, and, and, and it even actually goes with the flip side, too, right? If, if someone is considering being a pastor, it, it is the why of, of that. And so let's let's get to that, right? Are you and not you particularly, but um, I, I guess you because not everyone listening knows you. But <laughs> but when you look at churches, especially mega churches in our culture, there's a, there's sometimes a celebrity, I almost want to say the word ideology, so we'll just run with ideology for now is the word, but there's a celebrity kind of ideology or aura around some of these mega churches, and it turns into the experience of attending and being a part of a mega church turns into sometimes a show, sometimes a production, sometimes just whatever looks good on social media and YouTube, and there's a, a felt connection in the church that's meant to be there there's there's a discipleship that's meant to be there that ends up being lost and for too many people listening and just too many people in general that's the experience and that's even the thing that burns people with churches right so how do you then reconcile um, and, and this probably might even be more unique from your experience having been the rock star how do you then reconcile churches that chase that celebrity pastor status, that chase that insta-perfect lifestyle, that chase the the trendy, the cultural, the now, and let the discipleship and the true teaching of the word fall by the wayside a little bit. Mm. I mean, falling by the wayside is obviously the the you know the, that tagline is the problem within with itself. But I want to address the first part before we address that part. So as far as the marketing and branding and all of that. I, you know, it comes down, and, and you and I may never be able to point out which churches are doing this and which are not, but it comes down to a heart issue. Why are you marketing and branding? Is that to bring people in so they know Jesus Christ, or is that to bring people in to make your name great? Is that to elevate yourself, get your platform even higher, you know, point fingers at you? You know, I think that one thing that's overlooked in the churches as a whole, and this might be just a side note, but I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back around, is that I do personally believe worship leaders are going, are going to be judged harsh, harsh when they, get, when they stand before the throne room of God. Because to me, if you are asking everyone to come up, bring the glory, we're going we're gonna to funnel this, I'm going to be a conduit through me, I'm helping lead you, I'm leading and I'm worshiping, I'm bringing you to the throne room of God, here you go. If at some point that worship leader redirects it towards himself, I'm good on stage, I have a great voice, I write great songs, and he takes any amount of applause to himself, my God, no wonder Lucifer was a <laughs> worship leader, like the worship leader. It makes so much common sense, and I don't think a lot of people see that. I don't think mm. even worship leaders, I don't think they understand how deep um, taking any amount of glory from God is like, you want to be smitten, <laughs> you know, like you want to be smited. You don't want God is just a, I mean, try to take his glory, right? Try to redirect the glory that was from his assembly, from his people 
and 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 take it away from him. That's just my opinion. I I truly do feel like that in the same way. So going no, and and, and I don't I don't mean to yeah, cut please. you off on this, but you can add to it <laughs> the worship songs written that are all about me, right, and how I feel and how my journey is, as opposed to just giving the glory to God. So anyway. I just figured we should throw that into the list because there's plenty of worship songs out there that are written all about me. Yeah. And how I if, feel because if it of redirects God. you into being the God or the center or, you know, or elevating you above anything else <laughs> um, and not giving the glory to God. Absolutely. I can see how that would be yeah, a poor, a poor use of, of lyrics and time. Um, but yeah. So, so going back to the mega church and branding, you know, we, as sad as it is, or, or as exciting as it is, we live in 2022 where, you know, branding and marketing used to be people would have to see your logo three to five times to remember it. You know, so if you were going to create the next target, they had to see that bullseye three to five times before they remember they, their mind associates target, store, that brand. Well, because of the amount of noise in our society, now branding experts say seven to ten times before they can, before before people can recognize it, if that makes sense. You know, so we have kind of lost um, a lot of our attention span as a culture, as a people, not just Americans, it's, it's, it's Western, you know, the Western world as a whole. And so that's unfortunate, that's unfortunate. Now, if the goal and the purpose of your church is to bring people to Jesus Christ, and you're saying you're, gonna, you're going to take on the mantle of Paul and say, I become all things to all men that I might win some. Yeah, maybe TikTok is the way to go. But if you're sitting there and saying, <laughs> I just want a book deal. I want to make sure I'm a household name. I want people to, I want to be the greatest pastor that, that has ever known. And that's why you, the reasoning and logic to get on TikTok, then, then that's where I'm just, that's where I feel like, you know, God disciplines those he loves and your discipline might be a little harsher than the rest of ours. And so, that's, I don't have a qualm with it. I think that we, as the church, have so long foregone business tactics and things that have worked in the world, you know, be, because we are just, we've kind of pushed that off and said, that's too worldly for us. You know, everything from, uh, you know, like think about starting a church, Sean, you and I, but we are so adamantly opposed to Quicken Books. We're, we we want to go old school. We want to write down pen, pencil and paper. That makes so that's so illogical. Neither of us would have that mindset. We'd be like, dude, get a CPA. You could get me QuickBooks. I don't care what. I'll I'll do it all. I mean, I I want it to be I want it to be just right. I want to be able to streamline the process. Well, why is that business practice okay? And then other things that we say, oh, we just hand that over to the world. Well, I don't want that. I you know, for so long we as Christians, early on. We were the people that were granting money to people to create art. And somehow in our, in our, in our life, in, a, in the span of the last few hundred years, that's flip-flopped and we said, you know what? That's now homosexual. That's now worldly. That's now against us. You know, I've deemed dancing wrong. I deemed ants, art as inconsequential. Art is inconsequential to the Christian. Well, that's not how it's always been. So in our generation, let's not say, hey, Market, this type of marketing is fine and this type of branding is fine. I'm saying, listen, man, if shooting me out of a cannon across the stage will get you to give your heart to the Lord, you know, I will put in the, you know, I will put in the dynamites myself. You know what I'm saying? That's, and that's, and that may be a little <laughs> far-fetched and I'm just being, I'm just being tongue in cheek, but I am saying like, I do truly believe 
that we do need to become all things to all men. And we need to be wise as serpents. Understanding, like, what about, you know, SEOs? Like, what about search engine optimization? What about funnels? What about lead, you know, lead magnets? What about all these things that every other brand, whether it's fitness, whether it's an Amazon fulfillment, whatever the case might be, all these things are being used in the world and suddenly, uh-uh, not us, we can't touch that. That's too hard, I don't want it. We're just now getting a website. We're just now fine with a website. I just logged onto MySpace. I'm gonna put my church on MySpace now. Why are we generations behind? We need to be leading instead of following. And so for a lot of the conversation that we're about to have about business, money, and ministry, to me, I'm gonna be on the cusp that says, listen, if it's working in the world, we can, we, I'm not saying emulate it. I'm not saying, hey, if they have a boy band, we should have a boy band. I'm not talking about music or creative or arts or anything like that. I'm saying like, if, if the business practices are working there and I can be a better steward of the tithes and offerings with this, I can save more money. I can, you know, I have more money to donate. I have more money to build. I have more money to grow. Then why would I not streamline my entire quote unquote business um, to, to, to look a little bit more like, you know, uh, a C-level, a CEO, why wouldn't I, you know, or, an S, or a CFO or a controller, what are they doing at, at, you know, Apple that I can emulate here so that I can expand the kingdom of God? Not for my own glory, not for my own riches. I don't get, a, you know, every time a, a million dollars rolls through the church, I don't get a cut of it. It's, you know, and if I make more for the church, I get more. It doesn't work like that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, why don't we be smart as serpents? Why don't we be wise as snakes? No, and, and that's a that's a very good perspective because what you did was you kind of you looked at both sides of things, right? And so if we were to take that down practically now for the person listening who just wants to attend church and maybe if it's the right church get involved, <laughs> but maybe not be a pastor, there's there's the first aspect that you talked about where it's the matter of the heart for the person or people or board or whatever leading the church. And so on a practical level for someone attending, by all means, use discernment. And if the church that you're attending or wanting to attend is obviously on that far end of the pendulum to swing to, we just exist to get this pastor the book deals and to get our worship team the recording deals and to have a good social media presence and to collect all the tithe money for ourselves, make all the money, be the most famous church in America, right? Because... There's been examples of that end of the pendulum, right? And so then for the person attending, have discernment, analyze the leadership. And if, if you feel it's going that way, maybe don't attend that church. But don't condemn the other church on the other side of the pendulum that is actually devoted to teaching proper doctrine, devoted to discipleship, and is utilizing business practices, is utilizing social media, is utilizing advertising. Don't condemn them for that recognize that they have to live in the same country you have to live in at the same time period 2022 that you have to live in right and 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 so perhaps there's perhaps there's a balance there right of and it's in the bible to be as wise as a serpent but as gentle as a dove right to be wise and discerning to say i'm going to turn away if i see things that are not biblical but to be as gentle to say not every business practice not anything about social media is even written in the Bible. And so who am I to condemn a church for doing those things, for, for utilizing those resources? Yeah, we, 
Yeah, we are all part of a body of Christ. You know, it's it's we are just we are we are going to look different. We are going to, you know, what we how we conduct a sermon is going to be way different than the messianic Jewish service that's being conducted in Israel this weekend or the Catholic Church in the middle of Africa. It's just going to culturally kind of you know emulate a little more toward the existing community that we surround ourselves in. But two things really fast as far as what church to attend: attend the church that the Holy Spirit calls you to. Because what happens a lot of time is, is that we search around for the perfect coffee shop. We look around and make sure that, does these aesthetics fit my pleasing? Does, is, what does the coffee taste like? How does the barista treat me? What does the menu look like? And, and that is not what we need to do as a, as, as a people. Go where you're getting fed, but more, you know, go where the Holy Spirit says. What if you were called there to minister to the pastor? Hey, pastor. Man, I know life's pretty tough for you. I mean, can I can I wash your car? Can I help you out? Can I volunteer here? Can I lead here? Can I what can I pray for you about? And maybe God was, you know, leading you to that moment where the pastor was like, I wanted to give up because no one cared. No one was invested. No one was I'm I'm out here working and no one's taking care of me like or you know, because we're human too. We you know how it is. It is a very thankless job and I'm not trying to I'm not out here trying to get pats on the back like at all. I'm just saying you know, people look at pastors as if they have some type of superhero strength. Like we're not a, you know, we don't have, we've shut off all feelings so we can hear yours. You know, one of our friends, Kevin Miller, one of our mutual friends was telling me that this, he had a church out in, in Tennessee and this family would come up to him every Sunday with scorecards on his <laughs> sermon. And I was like, what the absolute you know what I'm saying? Like, I would have been like, get thee behind, you know, but that's what I'm saying. They feel like we have somehow risen above. We're some type of, you know, we have billions of dollars and we're immune and immortal and we have Superman and we can see through walls and all this stuff and your feelings can't hurt us. And, but no, man, we're human. Like I have a, I have a psychologist. <laughs> so what I'm saying is that, that when you go to church, don't look for the, 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 the most incredible coffee shop that you can find. This is not, this is American consumerism as, as its finest as to what church we picked. So when they're, if they're Bible believing, they're Bible based, they're teaching Jesus Christ, they're teaching the word of God, um, pray, Holy Spirit, is this where I'm supposed to be? No, great, I'm moving on. But please don't look at the menu and the aesthetics and the baristas and make your choice based on how comfortable it makes you feel. Because if a church is doing their job right, you are not comfortable. You're actually challenged. So that's the church that you need to get That's into. good. Words of wisdom. Well, we're just about out of time for today's episode. But... No, we're not. <laughs> no, you got to be kidding me. Are you being serious? I got. We didn't even... Oh, okay. Well, you'll just have to come All back right. on the show. Oh, my gosh. I have a whole... so much that I wrote down that I want to talk about. <laughs> Doggone it, Sean. You're just too maybe there. To maybe there will be a, uh, a part two. Awesome. Um, All right, man. But before we end, I don't want to leave... The listeners wondering what you're up to now. So what are you up to now? And and also as a as a side note, you have a side project called Anchor and Braille. Yeah. And the intro and outro song for this podcast, which is kind of a funny story because I first presented the podcast idea to you. You were yep. the one person I presented it to, and you were the one that was always like, "Go for it, do this," and uh, and and you just threw it out there. Use my song. It's it's a great song for an intro, <laughs> and it is a great song for an intro actually, there and an go. outro. For skeptical conversation, so publicly on the podcast, I thank you for that. Hey, no. <laughs> but, but what are you up to now, man? So I'm also, I'm, you know, we 
Amberlynn just signed a record deal where we're, we're going to create another record here. Nobody knows that. So there you go. That's for you. And, you know, when they put this podcast out, my band will be upset, but that's all right. You know, whatever. We're going to put out a record here. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah, we're going to be touring. Um, it, hopefully, it looks like in October, we'll, we'll see you in Albuquerque. That's just, we're hoping. So that's just a hope, um, you know. And then, you know, I work at Grace Family Church here in Tampa area. And I love it. It is an incredible church um, full of Full of high challenge, high support, as, you know, aesthetics and great coffee, but also very challenging. <laughs> and I love it very much. I'm so happy to be a pastor on staff here. Well, that's awesome. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for being on The Christian Skeptic. Yes, sir. And uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you've enjoyed the show.